You're listening to Upside Down, a podcast on spirituality and culture. No topic is off limits, so join us for unscripted conversations on God's Upside Down Kingdom. Hello, welcome to episode 40 of Upside Down Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Evans, and joining me are my co-hosts, Kayla Craig and Lindsay Wallace, and we have a special guest today, Colleen Mitchell. Say hi, Colleen. Hi. Our topic today is making peace with our bodies. And before we jump in, we want to, to give a shout out to our awesome Patreon supporters who have funded new microphones for us. Woohoo! Yeah, thank Sorry, you. Sorry, Colleen didn't get one, so, you yeah. know. Yeah. We don't quite lose her without a microphone, but I'll celebrate with you. Thanks. So we're pretty stoked, and um, hopefully it'll improve some of the sound quality problems that you guys have mentioned in the past, and it'll... Um, yeah, just make our episodes smoother and more helpful. So here we are, episode 41, Making Peace with Our Bodies. So we're gathering to talk about this relationship between women and our bodies. And body image, you know, cultural definitions of body is certainly a part of that, but it really goes a lot deeper. Um, we're going to talk about some of the effects of hypersexualization, excessive modesty, and ultimately, we really want to wrestle with the question of our physicality and um, what it means to to have a body, to be a body in this world that we're in, um, and in a Christianity that has a God who is incarnated, was incarnated, who became a physical being um, like us. So we're excited to dive into this. Colleen is our guest. She is the author of the book, When We Were Eve, Uncovering the Woman God Created You to Be. And she is a former missionary in Costa Rica, where she helped provide safe childbirth for under-resourced women. Colleen is the mother of five boys on earth and has a penchant for garish costume jewelry, tattoos, and hair dye. Welcome, Colleen. (laughs) Thank you. I had to throw that in there. Costume jewelry. I love it. (laughs) I think when I met you, you were wearing like a big key I don't know like around I, your neck oh my gosh I wear that key necklace and um my kids my students made me a birthday card for my birthday a couple of weeks ago and they drew a caricature of me on the front of it and she's wearing that key necklace like I think the necklace is famous <laughs> okay because I was like is this my imagination or was it a huge key but you know it no, was and people are always like what are those keys symbolize and I want to make up something super spiritual and interesting yeah. but I just haven't come up with anything yet so I'm just always like um they're just keys so are we talking like as big as like Flavor Flav with the clocks around his neck? Like, are we talking like that? It's close. <laughs> it's, so it's multiple keys, but it probably hangs down as big as Flavor Flav's clock. That's amazing. <laughs> I never knew that I would reference Flavor Flav in a podcast episode. And I'm just so glad to share this moment with you guys. Yeah, right. It was it was a well placed um, cultural nod. I have to say, I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> let's just start with talking about this huge topic of relationship with our bodies. But I'm thinking, let's start with the most obvious, which is at this time of year, especially because it's almost swimsuit season for women. Especially, our culture has an unhealthy fixation on what the perfect female body looks like. I think we all can agree with that. Even unbelievers can agree with that, that, that it's not fair and that it's, it's messed up. 
for lack of a better word. So, but why is it so hard to brush that standard off when we know it's not fair? I'm just wondering, like, why is it, why does it hit us so deeply that, you know, from, for most of us, we don't have this perfect, um, you know, what is it? 36, 24, 36, whatever the measurements are, um, you know, not too soft, but not too hard. We all know what that perfect ideal is. If we know it's ridiculous, then why does it, why does it get to us? I think when we're talking about cultural standards in our culture, that we have a tendency to want easy definitions and things that can be boxed up and made pretty. And when we start to talk about the feminine body, like there is not an easy answer of what it means to be female, to look female, to feel female. Our bodies are complex and they're mysterious and they are ever changing. And I just think as a culture, we don't really know what to do with that sort of weightiness of what it means to be female inside a female body. And so we've just kind of created this boxed image of what it should look like in a cultural sense to make it easy, but it's the farthest thing from easy when you're a woman breathing in that cultural air constantly. And as far as why we can't reject it, I just think when, um, when something is so in the air around you, I, a popular term right now is gaslighting, um, you know, that we're using in the way people interact in social media and that kind of thing. And the actual term gaslighting comes from an old movie where the man was changing this woman's environment around her, like super slowly and gradually so that she couldn't really figure out what if it was really happening. And she was convinced she was crazy mm-hmm. by that process. And I think that we are being gaslighted by this cultural standard. You know, we start breathing it in from when we're little and our environment is constantly adapted to make us feel not enough until we feel not enough and we don't know why and we wonder if we're the crazy one. Okay, so what I see as someone in the Christian sphere, right, I see... On this one hand, we bemoan the hypersexualization of women that that we see all through the media and everything that we're kind of taken taking in culturally. Um, but then on the flip side of that, I feel like there's this excessive modesty found in a lot of Christian cultures, um, which I want to talk about those things separately because I feel like they're both like equally large factors, um, for, for a Christian woman, but let's start with the, the sexualization of women's bodies. Um, so obviously that contributes to the pressure for a perfect body, right? But do you guys think that this kind of over-sexualization of the feminine, of the female body is, is affecting Christian marriages and dating relationships is affecting Christian women's psyches. I mean, I think that's an obvious answer, but yeah. How do you guys see that? I mean, or do you see it as Christians can easily separate ourselves and speak truth to ourselves or whatever? I think that it's not as easy as you would think it would be for us to sort of separate the truth that we know spiritually from what we're being so heavily influenced by in culture when it comes to our female bodies, for whatever reason, like I can read all kinds of 
garbage and say, through the lens of my faith, that's garbage. I'm not going to let that into my spirit. But I definitely can like click over to a fun Instagram ad of this cute shirt and realize it doesn't come in my size and not hear any truth making me feel better about myself in that moment. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not an expert on like porn and statistics in that regard, but I can't imagine. I mean, I know we're talking about the way that it affects women, but also when we talk about marriage and relationships, the way that the over-sexualization of the female body affects husbands and men in their relationship. And then the way that affects, you know, the wife or the woman and the marriage that, I mean, that's huge, you know? Um, I mean, I couldn't speak directly to it from like a, how prevalent that issue is, but we hear about it all the time, you know, um, church leaders and people who have been found to have, you know, extramarital affairs or addiction to porn and all these different types of things that I think really stimulate from that over-sexualization of a woman's body to the point where we treat female bodies as commodities and not actual human beings, you know? So it's like something to be consumed as opposed to a being made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think even without um, things in the media being like truly pornographic, there's that same sense of women's bodies being a commodity. And that when we're selling clothes or perfume or movies or TV shows, for some reason, it's still linked into our psyches with this standard of perfection of the female body and that that's what everyone wants to buy. Mm -hmm. And so I think we do start to feel Mm -hmm. like my worthiness, people's willingness to accept me, because at the end of the day, that's what we do when we purchase something, is linked into how close I can fit to this image that everyone wants to buy. Yeah. I actually saw a t-shirt today that said sex sells. Like on a human being? Uh, No, on a mannequin in a store. Potentially. I wasn't in the store. I saw it from the outside the window. Um, but yeah, I'm just, yeah, I mean, think of like air conditioning advert, like billboards, (laughs) like there's one in my town that says, uh, your wife is hot, you know, and it's like an advertisement for you. I just seen that. We have those here. Yeah. I mean, it is like, you know, it kind of makes me laugh, but at the same time, it's like, that is ridiculous. Like you're using sex to sell an AC unit, you know, or you're using, you know, you're exploiting my dignity in a lot of ways, you know, as a wife, like, I don't know, I just am so uncomfortable with that kind of sales. Um, But Mm -hmm. I know like it's, it's considered cute or like good for a laugh in our culture. But I think that's really indicative of a bigger problem. I think it's also funny that we say sex sells, but there's not a whole lot of sale factor in making a commodity of a man's body. Yeah. So it's not, it's not so much that like sex sells as much as we're willing to Mm -hmm. sell the female body and people are willing to buy it. And I just think Mm -hmm. that's an interesting dichotomy, you know, and I, when we look at like it creeping into Christian marriages, without a doubt, men are affected by that view and women are 
shamed by it, you know, and we, we enter into marriage with this notion that our love is supposed to be self-donative. But if you're a man and there's just, you've breathed in this sense of entitlement to a female body and you're a female and you've breathed in this shame, then you have someone who doesn't know how to donate out of entitlement and someone who doesn't think she has anything worth donating out of shame. Mm. And I think that's just a, a pervasive issue in the way we approach our theology of sexuality. Well, I think about marriages and I think how it's like the father gives away his daughter and we have all of these kind of rituals and rites that we have in this marriage ceremony. And it's, and in some ways it's like the woman isn't the woman, like going back to like the woman is property. Like now, you know, even in our culture, like most women take the men's last name. And I mean, that's what I did, but like, there is this, like, there's so many layers of patriarchy that are then like alongside these issues Mm -hmm. of sexualization and these issues of body and who owns a body. And I mean, even in scripture, like we see a lot of women that honestly were not treated very well, like their bodies weren't honored. And, and that's like, that's our history. And we have to reckon with that. And I hate like, (laughs) there are all these books that are like the bad girls of the Bible kind of thing, you know, because, (laughs) because the old Testament is like really carnal. Like it is very fleshy and crazy things happen. Yeah. But we don't talk about like, you know, Noah's sleeping with the wrong person and his son's having to back in the tent and cover him (laughs) up with a skin so nobody sees it. There's no books about that. About about the bad boys of the Bible, but we're going to go off on Rahab for being a prostitute and Tamar for seducing her father-in-law, which is weird, but it's not any weirder than anything else that happens in the Old Testament. I just think it's <clears throat> so interesting that even as Christian women, we're willing to culturally define those obviously antiquated behaviors with something bad when we never do that to David or Noah or, you know, um, I don't know. That's such an interesting sense to me and how, you know, when we talk about, um, we just mentioned like patriarchy and the layers of patriarchy that when we sort of, especially as Christian women start to give a voice to the levels of patriarchy that exist and that it's, it's really born in us as a suffering. I think we, it's easy to negate like that. It's so important to us because it's literally born in our flesh, in our skin. Can you unpack that? I would love to hear what, what you mean by that. Well, gosh, now we're putting you on the spot now, Colleen. Um, um, Because I think more so than the male body, the female body is a storyteller. Um, I mean, just from the, what our bodies are made to do, the way our bodies experience puberty, um, like the signs of our puberty are so outward and obvious compared to a male's development and changes and there's all this expectation around it. And if if we're the one to get boobs first and they're bigger than everybody else's, it's shameful. And if we don't get boobs, it's shameful. And, um, you know, <laughs> if we get our period and we bleed all over ourselves, it's shameful. And it, it then and then our body is just constantly going through all these transformations. Like as soon as you sort of figure it out and think, OK, now I know what my body's doing. Then it just does this whole other thing. Um, and you've got to start again. And 
And then our body just begins to show the signs of that. You know, if we're feeling shame and we become emotional eaters, we gain weight. If we birth a baby and nurse a baby or have a C-section, our bodies show physical signs of those things. And so I think that we there is a movement right now in our culture, whereas women, we are trying to give voice to protecting our bodies because there's a narrative held in our bodies. And when we when the dignity of that body is denied, it is it, it, it hits us at soul level, even when it's denied in small ways. Um, and when we watch other women start to tell their stories and we we begin to say, well, gosh, I never thought, you know, so many times in the Me Too movement, I would say, OK, I knew that I was like sexually abused in this relationship, but I didn't realize that there were five other relationships in my life where I didn't really give consent to some of the things that happened to me. Um, so as we begin yeah. to tell our stories and we begin to look at ourselves from the narratives of other women's stories, I think we can we begin to incorporate a realization of like some of the things that we thought were physical, solely physical and corporal experiences in our body are intimately linked to what happened to us emotionally and spiritually. Right. That reminds me of when Andi was on the episode in our mental health episode, and she was talking about integration of body and soul and just we can't always separate like we're we're connected beings we're we're made very intricately and we can't just just put one aspect here and one aspect here and think that they're not going to kind of intermingle you know mm-hmm. so Colleen some something that you said earlier about shame feels really relevant to me for because our listeners are predominantly christian and the the four of us are obviously I feel like shame is, I don't know. I I mean, that might be a bold statement, but I I am tempted to say it's more prevalent among Christian women than among non-Christian women, but it doesn't really matter where it's more prevalent. But but it comes out, I feel like, um, in a lot of the Christian culture as as, um, an exhortation to modesty. And I feel like that can be really well-intentioned. And I think that obviously some of it is good, but I think that we see this extent to where it actually is um, sowing these deep-rooted seeds mm-hmm. of shame within young girls. And and I see women carrying that with them for the rest of their life. Did you guys experience that? Like as teenagers, were you in a, in a cultural Christianity that really... Um, that really suggested (laughs) a lot of modesty for girls? I will humbly confess that I gave the modesty talk multiple times to my youth group. And I was like whole hog sold out on that notion that like, that this would work. And I think, I don't know it for me, I've done a lot of unpacking of how that, Um, actually compounded the trauma of childhood sexual abuse for me because it gave me a place to hide my shame. Like, well, if I just stay modest, nothing like that will ever happen to me again. Um, So I don't know. I do think there is some, I mean, clearly there's some harmful aspects to that culture because so many women are speaking out, right, about how it silenced them and their understanding of their physical selves. Right. 
So, Lindsay, I know you didn't grow up Christian. Kayla, was this a part of your your adolescence at all? No, I didn't grow up evangelical in the evangelical culture where I know that there was a lot of that. And I don't know what it was like. Um, I don't know if you, Colleen, if you grew up in like the Catholic realm or the Protestant realm. But for me, I like more of a mainline Christianity where that wasn't really something that was pushed okay. on me. So, and I think I'm probably a healthier person for well, it, it. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I don't have a lot of that baggage. Do you think your experience in coming into womanhood is different from the narratives you've heard from other women who experienced? Yeah, that? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I felt like my parents, you know, sometimes they'd be like, you're probably shouldn't leave the house wearing those shorts, right. <laughs> you know, and, and I would probably say that to my daughter if I was, <laughs> if she was trying to do some, some of the things that I was, you know, wearing, but it wasn't ever like, uh, I, we want you to, to commit to X, Y, and Z. And like, we, I didn't get those talks in youth groups and that just wasn't, that wasn't something that I had. And, um, as an adult, looking back, I'm, I'm kind of glad. Yeah, I have to say my parents did a really great job because I I took that in really subliminally um, and I really rebelled against it. So my parents, so I pretty much once I hit puberty for the next like, I don't even know, 10 years, maybe not that long, seven years were like, thing, were things that were pretty inappropriate almost every day. <laughs> and my parents did a really good job of kind of towing the line of like, you know, laying, like putting their foot down sometimes and and letting things go other times. And it was never, it was never really for them um, something to bring spirituality into. And, and maybe, maybe that could have been done more, but I think I still absorbed so much of it. And like I said, I was like pushing against it. Um, but but even now I've seen grown women my age or older, like building entire platforms on modesty for, for Christians and like how to dress as a Christian woman. And not all of that is bad, but I think that, that I have seen a lot of rules. Like, have you guys, <laughs> you probably haven't, but the rule well, about not like, when you're over 40 or whatever. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that's out there, but like even I read somewhere something like you shouldn't wear a shirt that's cut lower than like if you put your hand below your your clavicles. So it shouldn't come any lower than that. <laughs> you know, and oh I wonder what that yeah, person would think about Lindsay's chest tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> Not approved. It's not the test. We have no. to send Lizzie some camisoles. <laughs> a, a dicky. <laughs> you guys know what those are? <laughs> yes. Yes, right. yes, yes. I mean, I do. It's interesting. I mean, as somebody who was completely outside of the culture, it's interesting for me even now to think, and I agree with, with you know, Shannon, you've said a couple of times, like, some of that is good, right? Like, mm-hmm. there, there is there is an element to it that's good. But when you, I just can't imagine like, I don't know. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around like cover yourself completely. So no one looks at you. Oh, but God made you perfect. And just the way you're supposed to be like, that's the thing is most people that are saying that don't believe that God made you perfect. You are a sinner. Mm. Like you're a dirty sinner. 
Mm. Like there's a like and your theology affects everything. Everything. So sorry. Right. Go on. (laughs) I just have to say that. No, that's okay. I mean that's helpful because I was sitting here thinking like I don't understand how you can explain to like a a girl you know whether teenage or otherwise like yeah like cover yourself up completely. Oh, but God loves you just the way you are, and He made you know. So that's helpful to. Mm-hmm. you know think through that framework if you think that you're a sinner and your body is dirty and sex is dirty and it's all dirty right <laughs> then- well, and i think it's super unfortunate in in so many very you know more evangelical denominations it's really unfortunate that we translated paul's word for the locus of sin as flesh because mm. that has been just interpreted in so many terrible ways when the real like sort of base of the word is passions like the root of where we can fall into sin is our passions and our passions aren't in have inherently evil our passions can either lead us toward god and away from god and then we use our spirit to guide those passions but mm. it's not about our body being inherently evil or our actual flesh being inherently evil. And I think that like, if we could just go back in history and change that one word so much about our theology would change. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Kayla and I were discussing Gnosticism a little bit in preparation for this episode. And I think that, that it's so subtle, um, but it's so easy to kind of, inadvertently take that in of like the body is bad like my senses are bad sexual expression is bad what is it that we are absorbing when we when we give give each other these hard rules of of what we can wear what we can't wear like what part of our body is disgusting like you know um I don't know. I'm just I'm just thinking like it like Kayla said, like so much of your theology affects this and so much of it we don't even we don't we're not even aware is theology. Yeah. Do you guys know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, I think I think, you know, it goes back to the notion of whatever you see our creation story as, whether you see it as an allegory or you see it literally or whatever we miss that the like we get so focused on the fall mm-hmm. and what Adam became that we miss that there the ideal form of a human living in harmony of Eden was naked and unashamed. We had nothing to cover, and that the that the the result of the fall is covering ourselves in the fig leaves or needing to be covered by God clothed. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think it does go back to the heart of our theology because this is the heart of the fall, right? Like we've kind of whitewashed that out of the reality that I think so much of this modesty and rules and what you can do in Christian culture is a, res- a re- our innate response to our own sinfulness and our own fall of like, oh, let's cover ourselves up because this is shameful. Right. Yeah. And also really narrowing down on and drilling down a Eve blame Eve. And, and I don't know, you know, I'm sure this is a theme that has come up a lot in your book, Colleen, but just this idea of, 
I don't know, like blame the woman, like the woman did the wrong thing. And now she, she has set up the entire course of history for women to be blamed. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's maybe not the right reading to have, but it's a reading a lot of us have grown up with and taken on. And like Shannon was saying, absorbed without even knowing it in some ways. Right. Well, and I think we can kind of miss um, like what was really became clear to me in focusing on Eve is looking at what was that choice she made and what was the thinking that could have gone into that choice. And that where I landed is a place that feels so much more accessible than like this woman who was perfect in one minute and suddenly like, I never understood that. Like she saw a snake and she ate an apple and now she's like, I like the most evil thing in the world, you know, through all of human history. But that what I began to see was this notion that Eve was in the garden already like God made in his image and likeness. And what the Satan soldier, what Satan soldier was the lie that she had to consume something outside of herself to be like God. Because he tells her the apple's going to make you more like God. And that becomes like, to me, that is a repetitive sin in my life. And it makes so much more sense. And that, I guess, going back to the heart of Shannon's first question of like, why do we know the truth, but continue to like accept this stuff from culture? For me, that was really revelatory. Like, I continue to repeat that pattern of thinking, knowing I'm made in God's image and likeness, but thinking there's something outside of me that I can consume that will make me even more acceptable and like God. Yeah, I want to circle back um, when Shannon said that we had been talking about Gnosticism, just for our listeners that might not know what that word means. So it's kind of this idea that kind of permeates um, some Christian thinking sometimes, and it's kind of a dangerous idea. And it's basically separating the the belief that Jesus is fully human and fully God. So we kind of brush away the humanness, brush away his body, and focus on the divinity, which is absolutely there, but then we miss out on the very important part of him being the son, the human, the person who, who died, whose flesh was, you know, scarred, like he had a real body. And so when we miss that, and when that kind of thinking starts to trickle away, then, then those ideas of shame, those ideas of um, not feeling like we can be a connected person that has a body and a soul and they're both very important though that's when that comes into play and I've been thinking a while back I remember like in college I I came across a quote that was attributed to C.S. Lewis and maybe you guys have heard it but it's been tweeted from you know some famous pastors and writers and thinkers even and it's you do not have a soul you are a soul you have a body And when I heard that quote, I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, that's totally true. And then, you know, fast forward a little bit later in my life, I'm I'm thinking about this and I'm like, I don't know. So then I started doing some digging and I realized that most scholars agree that C.S. Lewis didn't even say that quote, which is interesting, right? Because that's it's a good. Mm. Oh, I feel like yeah, that happens, so much. happens with the, the internet. Quotes are the ones that are not yeah, right and, at all. And and like and when you think <laughs> about the the consequences of what that quote is, it's like, well, well, I I don't know. I don't know about that. Like I am a body too. Like I am a soul and I am a body. And we start thinking about resurrection. Right. Like like 
God isn't saying like your body is going to be gone forever. Like that's that now and not yet of the kingdom. And so, yeah, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and it's fascinating that after, um, after the resurrection, like Jesus still had a physical body with, right. like you said, with scars, you know, um, and oh, that just blows my mind because it, it does capture the imagination, right? Of like, what does that mean for us? in eternity, you know, but, but even with all of those unknowns of like what our own resurrection will look like, just like, there's so much dignity there, right? In that, like, even after the passion, even after his death, after the resurrection, where he could just be this disembodied spirit, you know, but it's like, he, he has, you know, he has Thomas, right? Touch his wounds. He's like, no, this is, this is the real deal. I still have a body. And it just gives so much dignity to our bodies, I think. And I personally feel like I'm just beginning to scratch the surface of what that means for my own life. Well, and I think when you talk about what our res- what our resurrection means, we we tend to theologize this notion of like, it's our ultimate goal to escape our physical yeah. bodies into eternity. But in, in most Christian theologies that I know, like the end the glorification at the end of the world is us being reunited with our bodies. Like, mm-hmm. w- you know, that's the end result of the victory. So like mm-hmm. the, the moment in eternity where we're just a soul and separated for our bodies is that's not like, it's not our ultimate goal to be freed from these sort of shells that we live imprisoned in. It's to, to me, like the idea of the kingdom coming is the notion of, of going back to that Eden instinct where we, there was no separation in the harmony between our spirit and our body. And I just, it's still like, I don't know how to do it. You know, um, I quit. my. That was going to be my next I, I've been through like a weird body phase where I, I don't know, I'm just going through a lot of junk in my life right now. And I had like, I don't know, skin cancer and then a hysterectomy and then, the flu and then pneumonia. And I had to quit my job because I couldn't take that many days off. (laughs) I'm so I'm going through one of those phases. I think we all hit them in our lives, especially during our childbearing years. And then during menopause, like where your body constantly feels like a betrayer. And I've like written this whole book and like supposedly learned this lesson, not to get mad at my body, but mm-hmm. I just get mad sometimes. Like, why can't I just do yeah. what it's supposed to do? Uh, mm-hmm. And I just think, I think that's another thing in our Christianity that like, we want to be once and done with our spiritual lessons kind of thing. Like, yeah. check, got that. I know how to be holy in that way. Let's move on to the next lesson. And that's not, well, one, I don't think that's how any spiritual spirituality works, but it's definitely not how the cycles of womanhood womanhood work. Like, I think we just cycle back around to let the same lesson over and over again. And I've been frustrated with myself recently and had to step back and be like, okay, wait, like you just got to take a chill with your body here because it, like we, I don't always, I don't always know how to pr- repro- approach myself restoratively, even though I know that's the truth of what I should be doing. Yeah. So I was going to ask, like, how do we make peace with our bodies in a, you know, and I think there are really practical ways that most of us are more familiar with. Um, 
but even in sort of an existential way, right. you know, or, or in a way of prayer, like how do you guys have practices that you personally do or, or ways that you have found to make peace with your body, to, to, to find that delight that I believe God intends for our physical bodies? Something that was reoccurring to me, uh, probably for about the past, mm, I don't know, six months or so, maybe even longer, was this idea that I I needed to take care of my body, not as like I needed to get beach body ready, but in a way of like, it's intrinsically connected mm-hmm. to like my mental health and even like my like emotional and spiritual health like it's not just something that i'm like well that is trivial or inconvenient or well i'm confident in my body it's more like i need to take care of my body because god gave me this body you know like i almost had this idea like well if i go to the gym or if i I am intentional about eating healthfully or whatever it is, then that's like, I'm not focusing on important things, right? Like I'm focusing on things that don't matter. Like that is kind of like, yeah, like surface level stuff, but really that matters a lot. And so as I've been, um, we, we got a family membership to the Y and I've been, you know, intentionally going. And in that time I, you know, listen to spiritual music or I just kind of like I take care of my body and I take care of my soul in some way. And then at the end, I have more energy. I need my body to have energy as I'm mothering four young kids, right? And I have a clear mind for me to do my job, to write and to do mm-hmm. other things. And so I think it's really interesting that, um, yeah, our, we we take care of our bodies and it doesn't have to be like a gimmicky thing or for anybody else, but it's for us. And it's because God made us this way. He gave us, you know, bodies and, and it looks different for lots of people. Like I think about my daughter, Eliza, who has significant medical needs, like taking care of her body is a lot different than taking care of my body. Right. And it's all important. And I was thinking about mm-hmm. when Joe um, Saxon yeah. was on the episode and we did an episode, the kingdom women episode. And she said, this was just kind of, it was almost like a throwaway quote, but it has stuck with me so much. And she said, I'm a different person going into the gym than I am coming out of the gym. And I thought about that for mm. a really long time. And now yeah, I'm seeing that in myself. So thank you, Joe. (laughs) I'm sure you're listening to this episode, but yeah, it was really meaningful to me. And so I hope that if there's listeners out there, you, you, I know sometimes as women, we feel like we need permission to do something, (laughs) which we don't, but if you feel like you need permission to take care of your body, because a lot of times as women that goes on the back burner because we're taking care of everyone else, please take care of yourself. Like it's okay. It's important. You should, you know? Yeah. When you say that, I think about that's yoga for me, but like it doesn't have the same effect if I don't have an instructor, instructor telling me what to do. Like if I, I have not gotten to the point of yogi masterhood where I can lead myself through, through a yoga series and, and feel that same kind of connectedness, I guess, or like just feel really whole. Um, but even just a little bit like, 
right now in my season of life, I'm not able to to go to a yoga studio, you know, uh, twice a week or whatever. I have a newborn. So I am trying to do a little bit at home here and there and even just the stretching. But what I love about it for me is that it integrates my physical body with my mind and my spirit, really. Um, so that's been a really life-giving thing for me. However, I have this injury from childbirth. And so kind of going back to what Colleen said about our bodies betraying us, where I, my body is doing like the most beautiful thing that I could ever ask of it. It's birthing this baby, but I have this injury in my chest that's, that it keeps me from doing yoga, which is like the one exercise that I love because I really don't like to exercise very much. And so I'm, I'm wrestling right now with like, being really frustrated with my body and not really knowing how to how to find that place of gratitude for it and delight in it. So um, that's part of the reason why I ask is because I'm selfishly just curious about how you guys resolve. And I mean, it could be, I think we can feel betrayed by our bodies in a lot of different ways of, um, you know, maybe abuse or weight or, you know, different signs of aging or sickness. I mean, I, I know that can be a huge, feel like a huge betrayal. So how do I reconcile my frustration with what I believe to be yeah, true? About I, my um, body? I had an interesting experience. My therapist, um, you know, we kick around the word self-care a lot these days. It's kind of become a buzzword. My therapist mm-hmm. always uses the word self-compassion I don't know why that is like a way harder Mm. word for me to swallow. Just feels deeper. And I don't always know how to like deal with it. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like you can go get your nails done. And that's self-compassion. There's no easy answer. Right. And so she never says like, how can you take care of yourself in this difficult moment? She'll say, how can you practice self-compassion? And I'm always, I roll my eyes at her because I'm just a snot like that. But um but th- we had a conversation the other day, like, why is that? It's not hard for me to at- to answer you if you ask me how to be compassionate to someone else. Yeah. But put self in front of it and it feels really weird and uncomfortable for me. But the morning of my hysterectomy, um, I was home. My kids were already off at school. I didn't have to be there until the afternoon. I had this weird chunk of time to s- spend that could have been really anxiety provoking. And so I tried to be really intentional about how I spent that time. But in all honesty, like I was glad to get rid of my uterus. We don't have like a super fantastic history together in every way, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but I took some time that morning and I ran a hot bath and like, I didn't, you know, I could soap my body up and say that was self care. Like I used this pretty smelling lotion, But that wasn't really compassionate to my body in that moment. And so instead, I like really stopped and just like, this is weird. But anyway, I, I blessed her. I had like a talk with my uterus and I just like offered her gratitude for the six babies that she carried in her womb and birthed into the world. And for the four babies that she tried to carry and couldn't and offered her compassion for the way that it felt and that failure felt. And Um, thanked her for bearing six C-section scars and not rupturing and um, for housing my femininity and cycling normally until she didn't and 
<laughs> I need to have a hysterectomy. But I just had this moment of like truly being compassionate for myself. And it was, it was so poignant for me because honestly, it was one of the first times that that was like a reflection, a reflexive action of my spirit to not just be like, oh, I'm going to get ready for this hysterectomy by putting pretty lotion on and I'll have taken care of myself. But to really have like a deep moment of reflection and compassion with my body. I love that, Colleen. That feels really meaningful to me. Like that inspires me to think about how I can do the same. And I think for all of us, the answer to that is going to be different because we all have a different story with our body. And so we all have a different need. The root of the word compassion is passion is suffer and compassion. So and the prefix C-O-M is with. So it literally means to suffer with. So I think sometimes when we're talking about our body, the reason maybe we shy away from the word compassion is because what we what it really means is to give ourselves space to enter in and suffer with our body. Yeah. And be kind to ourselves in that moment. And I don't know why that's so hard, but man, it's hard. Lindsay, you've been quiet. What are you thinking? I think for a long time I I mean, not that I took advantage of my body, but yeah. I just expected it to work um, because it always had. Um, I have never, had never, until I was like, <laughs> until three years ago, I had never broken a bone. I had never really been sick. I've never had surgery. I had completely, totally normal, healthy pregnancies. Like my body just worked and I was a like fairly healthy person, but it, it didn't work cause I did anything. It just worked really well. Um, until six months ago when I started having daily head pain and now it doesn't. Um, and so, I mean, just a few hours ago I went for a run and I felt like crap and I didn't want to go. And I thought this is, what's best for me right now and I need to go do it and I might not feel better afterwards but I still have to choose to do the thing that is best and so I don't know I'm sitting here thinking about what Colleen said about how do we enter in and suffer with um because my prayer is just that it would go away you know um that I wouldn't that I wouldn't have to suffer um so yeah, it's a it's a difficult thing when <laughs> you feel like your body is betraying yeah. you, but yet like you kind of feel stuck in it, you know? Like I, this is like what I have to work with here. So if things don't get better, I, man, I don't know what that's going to look like. So yeah, I I'm just chewing on what yeah. Colleen has been saying. Thanks for sharing that. I, like right in the middle of that tension for you. So I appreciate the vulnerability. I'd really like to hear Colleen tell the story oh, of tell the tattoos. moon one. I will tell Colleen. the moon tattoo story. So I have, I have three tattoos. Um, I don't know. I guess the moon tattoo because tech, technically two. But anyway, um, my first tattoo was supposed to be one tattoo, mm-hmm. and then it ended up being two tattoos. And then that was supposed to be my only tattoos. And then, well, now there's new ones. And I'm planning a new one right now. Um, but anyway, I have a tattoo on my foot, which was my first tattoo, um, that, um, my sixth, sixth son Bryce died in his sleep when he was three months old in 2009. And that was one of those things where actually like 
my, for me, there was a weird relationship with my body because that was a place where my body did not tell that story. And I thought it was a pain that deserved a scar. And so I kept sort of, I desperately wanted this tattoo because I wanted my body to tell that story. Um, and so I have a tattoo on my foot that is a, a sea turtle mm-hmm. and um, has symbols of all my boys and, and whatnot in it. And then, um, and I wanted to put his name on it, but then I didn't like how it looked. So I put his name somewhere else. So it ended up being two tattoos. But um, my most recent tattoo is it goes down my left forearm and it is the phases of the moon. And underneath it is the words Talitha Kumi, which are my favorite words in scripture. So I got this tattoo as a celebration of my recovery. In December of 2016, I had like a major episode of physical and mental burnout that ended in a full on like nervous breakdown and slide into mental illness. And, um, I was hospitalized like physically in the hospital. And then I spent almost a month in a psychological recovery program where I went to therapy like all day, four days a week. And I promised myself when it was over, I was going to give myself the gift of this recovery tattoo, a way to mark that I had survived this and it was time for me to live again. And so I chose these two things, the moon I've always had a thing with the moon since I was little and in the process of recovery, the, the notion of what the moon is really kept coming back to me. Like the moon is the moon, no matter what, like the shape of the moon never changes, but what we see of the light, the reflection of the moon does change. And sometimes it's all dark. It doesn't have any light to shine. And sometimes it has a little bit of its light to shine. And sometimes it has half and sometimes it has all but it's the same moon. And that became sort of just a thing for me to hold in my heart as I battle. I have bipolar. And as I battle the fact that sometimes that's going to mean that I have a lot of light to shine and a lot to give. And sometimes it's going to mean that I feel really dark and don't have much to give and need help instead. But I'm still me. And it doesn't change the essence of who I am. And it's all going to cycle back around again. And I'm going to be okay. And um, I don't know. I just love this tattoo with all my heart. And it has Talitha Kumi underneath it, which are the words that Jesus spoke to Jairus's 12-year-old daughter, who um, everyone was declaring dead. And then he came in and said, no, she's just asleep. Mm. And it means um, little girl arise. But in the Greek translation that we see in the gospel, often it says kuum, which is Greek. But Jesus actually spoke to her in Aramaic, her native language, and and the word is Talitha Kumi, but Talitha in the connotation of the Aramaic isn't just like girl. It's like a term of endearment for a little girl. And so it's there's this like warmth to it that he was really saying like, baby girl, precious girl, arise. Um, and so, yeah, that is my... My constant reminder that that's God wants me to live fully alive. He doesn't want me to fall asleep to myself. Um, And he's always calling me back to life and the gifts in me and the things that have fallen asleep because of this whole message of shame or whatever in our world. He's Jesus is always entering into the quiet chamber of my heart and saying, baby girl, get up. 
I love that, Colleen. Yeah. I think that, yeah, the the phases of the moon is, is so potent for women, especially because our bodies are like in a rhythm with the phases of the moon. And so I think it's just like this beautiful picture of just like the glory really of femininity and just how precious it is. So anyways, I love it. If anybody um, ever meets Colleen in person, ask to see all of her tattoos. Good stuff. Isn't it the best when you love your own tattoos? Like, I actually think that is like a little bit of a healer with my body for me, honestly, because I look at them and I'm like, this is so beautiful. I love this part of my body. I just really love what you said about like our bodies tell stories, Mm -hmm. but there are some stories that our bodies don't tell that we want them to. And I had never thought of it that way before. And I actually have several tattoos that tell stories that my body doesn't that I mean, it just had never occurred to me that like now it is there for people to see as part of the story. And yeah, I just really loved hearing you share that. Thanks. Thank you. I think think it's, it's interesting how we can talk about one thing and then like exactly our bodies are storytellers and, and then our bodies aren't storytellers. And yet it's the same, like, so it's like two separate experiences, but it's just the heart of the same experience. I think that's why we get so confused about our bodies as women, because we figure one thing out and then another thing comes into play. (laughs) Colleen, thank you so much for joining us. You really enriched this conversation. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. My boys are loving you guys because it is like a good hour past their (laughs) bedtime and I don't know what they're even doing, but they're definitely not sleeping. Awesome. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) They're welcome from us. (laughs) I will thanks for having me you guys it was fun to talk if you are a new listener you can um, be sure to find us on Instagram at Upside Down Podcast we're also on Facebook by the same name we have a Facebook group of gosh over 600 people now that are following Christ into his Upside Down Kingdom and we are uh, becoming a tight-knit community and it's really fun to see so be sure to join send us a request and we'll add you if you'd like to join all right till next time thanks for listening everybody